Yes, yes, this is Jordan Martins coming live from my screen to yours. You're tuned into the Screens Around's podcast where we discuss screens, tech, how we interact with it, internet culture, and rhymes, art, music, the things that inspire us. This is a space for us to share our stories through screens, and today I'll be sharing my own personal story along with Erica Mittens. She's a Haitian-American creative, organizer, and mental health worker. So in this episode, I'll be discussing the Biden administration's first moves and changes, their first attempts at undoing the Trump era, break down Bernie as a movement beyond the memes, and talk about the market, GameStonk versus the feds, just a bit. And then in the second segment, we're going to be locked in with Erica, and we're going to be talking wellness, creating digital healing spaces, and film. Very, very excited for this convo. She also ended up getting the COVID vaccine, so we're going to talk about the role COVID has played in our lives. If you enjoyed the show, you should share it on social. Tap in. You can find me at Jordan underscore Martins. That's on Twitter, IG, Clubhouse, pretty much everywhere. Let's go. I was just sitting there trying to keep warm, trying to pay attention to what was going on. Yes, yes. Here we are. Screens Rams podcast, episode three. For those who are tuned in for the first time, my name is Jordan Martins. I'm an artist, entrepreneur, and change agent, and I share stories between screens using digital media, and I'm interested in the intersection between art, technology, and education. So it's been a hella, hella interesting week for your boy because I'm into games. I still hate GameStop for those 23 cent trades back in the day. I do invest in real estate and crypto mainly, but I do not believe in stonks. And we're going to talk about that and everything that's going on right now. All right. So first, before we get too deep into it, I got to give huge shout outs to people who supported the first two pods. Thank you for tapping in. Truly appreciate that. The homies Nishi, Sierra, Katrina, folks who are sharing like the homie Dream Aloud Art. The first two episodes of Mike Tony Designer available. You can go back and listen to those after this. But yeah, I love the response. And we're only going to keep getting bigger and better from production. And we're going to always, always have great conversations and great guests and great takes from yours truly. All right, we're going to get political on this pod today. I love politics. Technically, I worked in politics for three years here in New York City. I care so much about politics because of, you know, I'm a millennial and America fundamentally changed in the early 2000s. But I first started paying attention in 2000 when I was in sixth grade during the Bush-Gore election. And I realized George W. was a war criminal. And when I got to high school reading about him and when I was taking newspaper classes, I'm like, man, this guy really wanted to buy a baseball team and manage the Houston Astros. But because his dad was president, he became a figurehead and he was a bumbling idiot and war criminal who we had for eight years. Nuts. And even now, the the idea of him being kind of like a meme as well, like the sweet old guy who loves Michelle Obama. Like, don't don't give me that. That dude's a straight up war criminal. One of the most evil people. So for my non-US audience, shout out to y'all. Get some popcorn because it's going to be a, a soap opera hearing about what's going on over here. And for my Americans, buckle up because they're not bailing us out. And we already off to a extremely rocky start for 2021. All right. So it's definitely bittersweet to see the outpouring of Bernie memes that happen during the inauguration, I opened with that clip from Bernie. And for me personally, I've been really, really on the Bernie bandwagon pretty early. Like, where was this level of media coverage in 2015 when it was all Hillary all day? In 2020, he was more of a side note. 
So, uh, you know, for me, it was bittersweet to see him become a meme. I definitely want to give a shout out to him, though, because he became a meme, put the meme of himself on a sweatshirt. It sold out, you know, and then he went and raised $1.8 million for charity, made Get Me Image, donate the cut, and another company donated coats. So turned himself into a meme and went and did all that. And then, of course, he was supporting a local artist with his mitten. So I'm not mad at Bernie becoming a meme. I love that. I love Bernie memes. I love that. My fellow Americans, I have come to you. You know, like, Bernie is, like, totally memeable. His outfit looks like me when I go to Home Depot. You feel me? Like, he was there to go to the post office, the inauguration. He probably had, like, real work that was in that manila envelope, right? Like, this guy is committed, committed to the work. So, I just want to, like, give a big shout-out to Bernie because if I'm as angry as him and committed to the work as him at his age i feel like that's a huge win and that's why he's a big inspiration to all there were some really cool twitch streams from aoc this week alexandria octavio cortez she talks about basically bernie being a figurehead who kind of was a response his campaign was a response to occupy wall street in 2011 and a lot of again millennials my age who were in college during occupy or graduating there's a lot of cyclical vibes. But again, Bernie's look hit different and why he became a meme. His gloves came from a supporter. He had upcycled drip on, right? So again, like it became like a fashion culture, norm core, dad core, all of these like verticals that hit in and subcultures. There was really, really, really great memes, right? Again, if all the people who posted Bernie memes actually voted for Bernie, we wouldn't be in this circumstance. 2016 wouldn't have happened. I'm going to play a clip about how I felt about Bernie pre-election. It was filmed right after the 2016 election day. And I've kept the same energy throughout. Fuck Donald Trump. And I feel like the Democratic Party is has been in lame duck mode for a long time. So, again, no love to Nancy Pelosi for actively hating on Bernie, who pulled better with a working white class. And we knew that that was the base that kind of really, really wrote for Trump among other folks. Like, I believe, was it 53% of white women or 57% of white women? Shout out to Erica Ramirez of Illy Magazine. I did this video talking about my views, and it was filmed by people who were actually on the Hillary campaign, and I unflinchingly gave my take. Run that. Run the receipts. I wasn't the biggest Hillary fan, to be honest, but I knew she could do the job. I was a big Bernie guy. Trump basically ran on a campaign that was anti-anybody who's non-straight white male. So that's a lot of America. And I think people should just have a little more empathy for other people's experiences. And um, there's so many people who are going to be affected by this uh, on the day-to-day. -day. He knew like this level of racism and hatred existed, and he, he poked a lot of uh, underlying feelings people have had for a long time. but just to see that it got this far and, and this is the reality now. Receipts, I've been on it. And I feel like more socialist leaning policies are the only way to really get us out of where we are with America. And we're gonna break down some of the executive orders and movements of the Biden administration from the past couple of days and break down what's real, what's lame, what's BS. Again, I just wanna share that I'm very skeptical of this administration but 
you know, I watched the inauguration with joy to be removed from Trump with cognitive dissonance. I'm happy for people, but I'm just mad about where we are as a country because I think we need really progressive action to push us out of this Trump era. So really the Trump administration set the U.S. 20 to 30 years back, whether it be in international relations and the irony of make America great again, like America is a declining quote-unquote empire now, right? So the only positive things of the Trump era was a lot of people woke up, even entertainment writers I used to work with, they started to care. People who never followed politics, right? My eyes personally have been open since 2000. I've been watching C-SPAN since middle school. My eyes were open in the post 9-11 worlds, Iraq, Afghanistan war, really the 2000 election and the way that was stolen and Florida's role and Gore, really the Gore-Bush election, I would say kind of radicalized me in a, in a way that made me distrustful of institutions and a lot of millennials feel that way. I feel like post 9-11 was about to come up for war criminals and corporations. <laughs> corporations became people. The Patriot Act was passed and it was the rise of a surveillance state. I'm the kid who was playing Metal Gear Solid, listening to Backpack, Second Golden Era rap. And I studied sociology in college and organizing and learning about social movements. So I've been progressive for a long time. And I, I just really think that a lot of the policies, ironically, especially on the economic side, have across the aisle interest from progressive to more conservative because they realize markets aren't healthy and where we are is so far from where we need to be. Like inequality, this much inequality isn't even sustainable. Storming the Capitol was an act of white domestic terrorism and we're in a new cycle and so much stuff was happening during the Trump administration that you couldn't even keep up with all the evil things were happening. Like folks now are were saying online on Twitter, man, I didn't even realize that policy was in place because there were so many crazy policies that were put in place, whether it be the Muslim ban, travel ban, all these insane policies that Biden wanted in reverse, right? We're in a culture where so much crazy stuff happened for four years. A lot of it unfolded on Twitter that I feel like we already were a culture of 15 second attention spans. And maybe that's already gone down to like five. It's nuts because the fact that there was a guy in Tennessee, a white guy who blew up an entire city block and it was old news. It's ridiculous, right? That's the effect of the Trump presidency where madness is normal. So we've normalized madness and spectacle. And I don't know what it's going to take for us to get to a place where things become normal. Now, what I want to say about the idea of normal is that white liberals are in a space where they can breathe a sigh of relief. Because <sighs> Trump was so bad that like, even comfortable White liberals in the suburbs had their quality of life change or just felt uncomfortable with some of the things that he was doing, especially towards the end. Yeah. At the beginning, people were like, oh, give him a chance, whatever. But the marginalized were really, 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 really on the ropes for the entire really 2015 through now. We've always been on the ropes, but it felt different. The level of marginalization and oppression that was openly happening and rhetoric and violence and all of these things. But white liberals going back to breathing easy again and not having to pay attention, that's how we got here. And there's definitely a danger in that. 
I was not the biggest Kamala Harris fan or Joe Biden fan. Again, I think we need progressive movements in this time in order to repair a lot of the infrastructure that's been declining for years and a lot of damage policy to the point where, you know, the middle class like doesn't exist at all. The middle class is a myth, in my opinion. I feel like we have an opportunity whenever there's chaos, there's a lot of opportunity to create change. A good way to look at the effect Trump had on the American psyche and populace is Hurricane Sandy. So it was a big storm that hit in New York City had trash in the subway for years, right? Like they still claim that they're doing work to repair water damage that happened during Sandy. And there was trash on the tracks for years. So it's going to take a long time to undo structural damage. And it's going to take serious investment, which, you know, this administration is repealing policies, but we need progressive policies to really do repair to so much damage that was happening way before Trump, right? But, you know, the routines of our daily existence were warped when we delved into fascism and in general in politics in the U.S. You know, I love... I love the Obama administration, even though it was far from perfect. He was a war criminal as well, had some of the biggest deportations, mass deportations happened on his watch. You know, that's that's there. I was a big Obama fan in 06. I actually met him at a rally at Brown University, and I had been following ever since. So in 08, I actually did on my college radio show a kind of owed to him and i also did a recap of his election in 2012 of his first four years i even made a mix thanks obama which was celebratory of his time in office his eight years so he, again he was like the best pop culture president that we had but was still problematic and very centrist in in retrospect i think among progressives he ran on a progressive campaign and, and really promised a lot of change and you know he was able to accomplish a lot but I think there was a lot of hope with his second administration that he would have done more and pushed more policies, but he did have a Republican majority during most of his tenure, but I think we all wanted to see more. All right, I just want to give super quick hits on the inauguration, and then we're going to run through just some policy. So quick footnotes, on the day before, Kamala Harris was wearing Pierre Moss to the COVID memorial that happened. And I just want to salute her for doing that, supporting young black designers from East New York. Yes, shout out to Carbito, Kirby Jean Raymond of Pierre Mas, who's also creative director of Reebok and my home state of Massachusetts. Anyways, so shout out to Kamala for doing that. I feel like overall the inauguration locked the power of the acceptance day speech, which had all the energy. I feel like the overall day fell flat. The energy was flat besides the Amazing, amazing poetry that came from Amanda Gorman, Poet Laureate. Just a reminder why we need to continue to support the arts. She was a public school kid. There was a tweet from Clint Smith III who was talking about how he actually did a poetry workshop in L.A. and Amanda was present. And then a couple years later, she was at the presidential inauguration. Started from the bottom, now we're here. The unsung hero of the day was the guy wiping the podium. And of course, of course, of course, Michelle Obama had the most drip more than all the performers combined. And I had to give a big shout out to Eugene Goodman who got blessed up in a big, big, big promotion. He was crucial in keeping Congress members safe during the riots and led a lot of the rioters away from where the congressmen actually were. So he's a black man who's in that viral video. So big ups to him. Mm. 
right. So on Inauguration Day, they talked about the policies of healthcare, renewable energy, student loan forgiveness. And, you know, this administration feels capable. I don't know what they're going to deliver on. Student loan forgiveness already seems shaky out of the gate. Biden's cabinet is pretty diverse, has the first trans person serving, which is great. Mayor Marty Walsh from Boston, I think he would be a good person to build bridges for union labor as uh, Secretary of Labor. Biden also pulled a lot from Harvard in his cabinet. In my opinion, Obama had the GOAT, greatest of all time cabinet of multidisciplinaries. So I want to talk about some of, ex of Biden's executive orders and policies he's been signing since he came in. A lot of executive orders were just built around reversing Trump policies. So I'm going to break down different policy errors between optics and BS and just straight up lame and then what's genuine slash important. So let's do that. So first, the discussion of private prisons and the Department of Justice not having contracts with private prisons. That's solely BS because ICE is still working with private prisons. There's big money in private prisons. Uh, judicial judges in our system <laughs> invest in private prisons. It's, I don't think it's really going to change anything. It's just optics, in my opinion. $20 Tubman's. I do not care about Harriet Tubman's face on the $20 bill. And let me tell you why. Because I don't have my stimulus check back. You know, like, that's cool. Run me that 20 with whoever's face on it. Donald J. Trump's face could be on that 20 As long as it's part of my $2,000 stimulus check, then I'm happy. But... Yeah, I think that's just kind of optics and weird liberalism. Again, that's been proposed for a long time. That was in the ether. People were excited about that. But run me that 2000 I don't care about anything else. Also, our $2,000 is actually going to be probably $1,400 or maybe even less. So $600 stimulus happened before plus 14 equals 2000 I'm not necessarily upset about that, but apparently there's ideas of Biden negotiating down the stimulus check is definitely not the $2,000 that was promised. It's far from the $2,000 that would fly out the door in an instant, right? That was promised if we voted in Georgia Democrats. Let's be clear, every other developed co country has had retroactive $2,000 plus payments to people for them to stay home besides the U.S. The U.S. has basically given so far, what is it, uh... $1,800 and said, go figure it out. You know what I mean? And that's why people are hurting. Someone actually did try to break into my house and rob me on Christmas. Like people really, really are hurting right now and they will take from others to get it. Food banks are packed. It's, it's hard times right now. There's a lot of wage workers who aren't working at, you know, places like movie theaters and sports arenas. For me personally, I was preparing and hopeful for shutdowns happening when Biden came in. I thought that was going to be one of his executive orders. Hasn't happened. You know, what we're actually seeing in L.A. County is they're opening restaurants back up. In New York City, they're going to 25% capacity dining in February. So it's like a lot of counties and states want to play this game where it's like, oh, okay, you know, we need a little more money. Let's open up and then close. It's kind of back and forth. When we know we're at the height of the penny, we really need to be having things shut down and putting money in people's pockets. So on Tuesday, January 26th, the House Senate Democrats passed a proposal for $15 minimum wage by 2025. We know that with the way inflation works by 2025, that's probably going to be worth about $13. So it's kind of garbage. People wanted $15 minimum wage. A lot of states are already there, including New York and I believe California. 
Massachusetts is not too far behind, but a minimum wage of nine fifty right away. Yeah, you know that that's helpful. Uh, but every coastal city has had it way higher for years now, and there was a lot of pushback. Oh well, you know it's going to bring up the prices of things. Non-exploitative labor like In and Out, where it's a smaller owned company, they pay their workers between seventeen dollars and nineteen fifty, and it's super super cheap if you've ever been to In and Out in California or the South. And yeah, for me personally, like I've had really low paying jobs, like most millennials. I survived on less. I qualified for Medicaid working for $13.50 in New York City, right? So stop playing because in Switzerland, the minimum wage is $24, right? Like I don't think we'll get there in, in my lifetime. Like I don't think America's progressive enough to increase taxes for cheaper education as far as a college level and true equity but we definitely need to be paying people more it's crazy that you know record profits companies are doing better and then wages haven't risen in 20 years it's ridiculous all right let's get up into straight up lame so the rest was optics and bullshit we're going to cover the straight lame shit all right so the feds are interfering with the wall street bets redditors and upset that they were shorting loopholes and they exploited that to ride GameStop and AMC stock, right? We're cool with the feds bailing out their hedge fund homies, but it's fuck the little man, right? Like that's that that's how the last couple of days of news ha- have showed us. And Treasury Secretary Jeanette Yellen, who is part of Biden's cabinet, got 800k in speaking fees quote unquote from citadel and they're the owners of robin hood so we know robin hood put a freeze on trades and i'm sure some of that was influenced by the feds no doubt especially when you know the treasury secretary is on the payroll of these big hedge funds like we know big money in wall street is they're in bed with each other and it affects everything on a policy level. A uh, great recommendation is the film The 13th. They do a really great job by Ava DuVernay. They really illustrate well the relationship between lobbyists and lawmakers. And you can see that sometimes lawmakers will even forget to remove some of the language from the lobbyists or some of the watermarks. That's how much influence they have when bills are being submitted. It's, it's nuts. Another lame thing is there's no updates on the messaging of mask, right? So Fauci is in interviews saying to double mask or wear the KN95 or N95. I've been on that personally, right? Like I wear N95 for hardcore errands or I'll do the surgical and put a cloth mask over it, right? I've done that while I was hiking, but the messaging before was to save those type of masks, the surgical masks or the N95s for the healthcare workers. So that was the messaging before, but with the new strain that's more infectious that we talk more about later, that you need to protect yourself more. It's more infectious. So you need to probably double mask up. If you're listening to this, wear your mask, maybe wear two masks, a surgical, the blue or the white mask with a cloth mask over it. Don't let me catch you out in these streets with the mask around your chin, right? Don't don't pull it up just when you get to the store don't be those people don't be walking down the street talking on the phone yapping all loud with your mask down around your your chin it, de- it defeats the purpose that's not what we about apparently the healthcare community is reaching out to the biden administration about making masks more available 
in comparison, in countries like Taiwan, where they effectively pretty much beaten the virus there, the Taiwanese government was sending care packages to citizens from January. So that's what we could be doing here if we tax the rich accordingly, the Jeff Bezos of the world. If, if people were taxed properly, this would be done. All right, let's get into the genuine slash important. The second impeachment is important because it could prevent Donald Trump from running in 2024. And there's a significant danger to the threat of Trump because he's doing the president's media co. So obviously he had a lot of sway. He was able to incite violence. He was able to use hate language to motivate a lot of people. So he's been a master of media manipulation. That's the only great thing about him you could say is he's a master manipulator. Yeah. So him having his president media co-brand is not great, especially if that's bubbling and he has a chance to run again. So I'm happy that they, they did put in for the articles of impeachment again. Expanding Obamacare was excellent. The special enrollment period on healthcare.gov got extended from February 15th to May 15th. Previously, it was going to close on January 31st. Personally impacted me as a small business owner. I'm still figuring out how to get the healthcare that I need. Trump was very anti Obamacare, so he shortened it on purpose to as low as 30 days. And certain states in coastal cities mainly were extending the deadlines. But now we're back to a place where we were under Obamacare, where we have months to go through open enrollment and sign up for healthcare. There's a case for Medicare for all, which I believe that we should be moving in that direction. And that's why, again, I'm a big Bernie fan because that's on the table. Medicare for all would save 450 billion while preventing 70K debts. Certain studies show, will we get there? I don't know because, you know, the healthcare lobbies are brawling. So one of the reasons why I decided to have Erica Mitten on was because she ended up getting the COVID vaccine, which is the only thing more exclusive than the PS5. It's hilarious, actually, in retrospect, talking about this whole GameStop thing. One of the only times I really put myself at risk of COVID and was in a area with a lot of people like that was to go to GameStop and try and secure a PS5 because they had them in store and did like a surprise drop. Shout out to my homie Jelani Thompson slash no ability who just texted me as I was recording that he secured his PS5. We're going to be talking about PS5 and gaming pretty soon. But I'm super excited to have Erica Mitten on. We went all TBT and we talked about running through the NYC streets in the early Twitter era. Obviously her taking the COVID vaccine, Moderna, crafting space on the Clubhouse app and transforming that into like a healing space through her music. We talk about a little bit about the Clubhouse IPO and also black film. So enjoy the conversation with Erica. It's super great. I was super excited to have a black woman on the podcast because in general on the podcast i listen to i realize you rarely hear from black women i mainly listen to like sports podcasts so you hear like malika andrews and fine ass taylor rooks but it's pretty pretty short besides that hashtag trust black women we got to do better with that so i'm part of that change today let's get into that erica man interview okay hey. yeah Shaking 
Alrighty, so I have the secret clubhouse legend, IRL legend, changing lives, the homie, Erica Mitten in the building. What's up? Hi, <laughs> I'm Erica. I'm based in New York City. I work in mental health. I used to be an online retail buyer. I also like to write and create films. A originally from originally from uh, Rancho Cucamonga, California. Hey, who else is from there? There's like a as famous athlete who's from there. I don't know who. It's not Tyson uh, Chandler. Darren Collinson. Yes, probably. Yeah, I went to his like going away party when he was going to UCLA. <laughs> wow, legendary stories. Yeah, it's like there's other athletes from there too. Like my buddy Terrell Thomas. He played for the Giants. And we, don't, we don't talk about the Giants on this podcast. No. Well, sorry, but I have other friends. I'm from like, New England. We don't talk about the Giants. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. And I have my friend, Jerome Alexander. He, like, caught, like, I think he, like, caught a really good catch or interception for when Boise won the national championship some while ago. He, he's from Rancho. Now he he's a, I think he's a defense coach for the Miami Dolphins. And I have my friend, uh, Brenda Martinez. She's went to the Olympics, I think, twice. She's a New Balance runner. Out here. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I feel like you don't really do much stuff for like procreate, get really good at sports or like become a lawyer or a doctor when you live out there. Well, I'm glad that you subverted all that to be here with us today. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So let's talk about our personal history, because you remember me when I was first, first, first in NYC, a baby with X's on my hand, literally, because I was too young to get in the club. Yeah, I remember your face. I don't forget faces. So there's people like I have met like when I first came to New York or my early days like back then that I always like remember, like Through... I'm in a room. Uh, so I, how am I? I think I was like at party scenes, that kind of stuff. Like I feel like you were working at like. I was at like, Complex with Modi. Yeah. And I used so, to go to like a lot of complex parties and Modi was like an intern for drjace.com, my employer. At the same damn time. Yeah, Modi's yeah. a legend. Shout out to Modi Oyewole, the legend. We were both at complex at the same time and he was at Dr. J. So he's a true hustler. He was working both gigs at the same time. Um, New York City. Great dude. Great dude. Love yeah. Modi. Super connector. Just like overall overall great dude i gotta get him on the pod one of these days um so yeah 2010 was like different energy in the city for sure i feel like <laughs> before yeah. 2015 specifically like before stuff was getting super corporate talk about like 2010 industry or like the city yeah, 2010 so i was like a young retail buyer for one of the first like urban or streetwear websites, drjays.com. So like for me, it's just like here I was like, you know, like my mid twenties and I was able to like manage like multi-million dollar budget. So all these like cool brands or just brands in general would like always try to take me and my coworkers out for drinks or dinner. So it's just like, for me, it's just like, I was out like almost every night at one point, especially like 2010 because there's so many parties back then. Yeah, it was super crazy. Like you could literally hit like three, four events and they were like sponsored, but it wasn't like hashtag sponsored big brands. It was a lot of organic energy with smaller brands and blogs were super popping. It, it just felt different. Yeah. And I think everybody knew everybody because you see the same people, the same open bars, same like events. 
Yeah. It was a good time. It was like early Twitter. Uh, IG wasn't even invented yet, I don't think, until like a year later, which is crazy. It's funny, back then too, like a lot of my early Twitter friends, like we would go to the same events, they'll come up to me like, are you the mitts? <laughs> that's how like I met Marv, uh, Jazzfly, RIP, like a lot of people like would just like, that would happen. Like early people are just like talking about music on Twitter. And then we're yeah. having to be the same events. Exactly. You would tweet at an event and then somebody would at you, hey, are you here? Like, that's how it was. That happened to me a couple of times. Or you would have left. And then you figured out that, like, a bunch of people were there in the IRL that you knew from the URL. Oh, well, this happened to me for a lot of people. Like, it was a lot. Like, like Deep Prosper. Like, just a lot of people that were, like, heavy in, like, Twitter around that time. And I would just, like, go to listening sessions or go to, like, SOBs and... You know, people come up to you like, hey, I'm so-and-so on here. Hell, hey. It's like, not even like you're planning to meet them. They just like come up to you or you go up to them. Yeah, it was very organic. What's crazy is technically like there was this, I don't know what, cultural worker who was doing research on the idea of Black Twitter. And he tagged me in a tweet and said that I was the first person to use Black Twitter in 2009. Because I was at a Little Brother concert and shout out to the homie Theo Hill Holla. Theo. Yeah, Theo Martins. Uh, we were all at this. Sh- Modi might have been there too. A lot of like New England Black Twitter was there. So that was my tweet. Like all of New England Black Twitter was in this event. And apparently it was the first time using it. I didn't get any checks or any clout off of it. So it's whatever, but super interesting. Um, yeah, speaking of. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of apps and the space of online URL, like Clubhouse kind of has been the outside while we're inside i feel like like we i've been in some amazing rooms with you and it's been really cool to carve out space and community it's super super interesting there was just the one billion dollar evaluation and i was in a very interesting room with a lot of black founders who are a little upset uh so let's just talk about like clubhouse in general i feel like it the energy is different uh for me personally and then talk about building communities so when you were on earlier than me, when did you start with Clubhouse? I think like October twelfth, maybe. I think that's like my birthday. Yeah, around there is like I had a couple of friends trying to get me to go on there, like back in September. I was like, nah, I don't want to be in another social media app. Like my friend Shireen, she does like this shop called My Little Magic Shop. She was on there early, like telling me about it, trying to get me on. I was like, no. And then Omen, really good friend of mine. Yes, shout out to him. Yeah, I known him like since like early Twitter days too, but we met, I want to say in person first on Twitter, but like he was like telling me how you got to get on this. He was like talking about it for like a week or two and I was like, okay, I'll do it. Because I was like, Omen never really uh, tries to get me to do something for that long. So like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> I got on there and I was like very like hesitant, very resistant to it. Got on there and I was like, this is really cool. First time I was like on there, I just remember like, wow, people from my Dr. J's days are on here people that I met when I was like a, you know, like a 23 year old retail buyer here, like Dallas Penn, other people. And then there's the industry, the industry. Yeah. And then there's people that like like really good friends in real life that I met when I was like in my early twenties on there in California. And then there was like people that I knew, like, cause I work in mental health, like in that world, like, so it's all my like different aspects of my lives were just like converging in this place. 
I'm about to pull up my clubhouse interest right now because my clubhouse interest is so diverse. Like when I first first hopped on in particular, like I live alone. So like you don't always get the greatest social interaction. And I was dying doing like Zoom calls for work. Uh, I'm full time freelance. I don't have to do that anymore. Thankfully, I'm choosing to be on Zoom with you right now and record. That's <laughs> but, great. Like, Zoom fatigue was super, super a thing for me. So Clubhouse was great. Like you could just come as you are. Like people would, you know, talk from the bed or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I follow like wellness rooms, stuff about plants, stuff about investing. There's so much like great space on Clubhouse. So talk about just some of the community that you've been able to carve out on Clubhouse. I know you've done some interesting sound rooms and just all right. how cool that's been. All right. So when I first joined Clubhouse, one of the first rooms I went into, like film rooms, um, shout out to like Justine Bateman, her film club were one of my favorites, like a lot of like classic films. And then there was like uh, other film rooms that were created in clubs. So I was just like really going into a lot of those because that's like my interest has been like writing, filmmaking in the last like five, six years. So I was like gravitating to that, those type of rooms. Um, and then like I started noticing like this guy Belmonte was like doing really random rooms, like ones like called Astro Pippin. And I love astrology, like one of my best friends who I mentioned earlier, Shireen, like it's really into it. She's an astrologer. So like I kind of like off and on like read about astrology, studied a little bit. So I would go in his rooms and then I noticed he started doing other rooms too. He was doing like music rooms. The Cotton Club, right? And he was doing like Cotton Club. So Cotton Club is like you go in there on Wednesday nights, your price of admission is like a black and white jazz photo, right? He was doing that. And after that, I started noticing he's doing like jam sessions, just him playing like his guitar, like doing all this cool stuff. And then I noticed another room one day, like, so this is probably like maybe my first two weeks in this guy, Dante was doing like an open mic. So I go in his room and like, people are just like performing. So I was like, you know what? I have like tuning forks. Let me just like play my tuning forks. So I just like started playing my tuning forks on stage. They're like, whoa, this sounds really cool. And they thought it was a like, recording. I was like, no, I'm doing this live. They're like, what? This is live. <laughs> and then they like Dante and E, they're, they're great. Um, they do a CGI room. That's like where this was happening. So they invited me back like that following Sunday to do like a concert on there. So like, I felt like a lot of love and like, you know, a lot of acceptance, like doing music on there. And I'm doing like different types of music. Like I'm playing around with frequencies. You normally see people like, you know, R&B or hip hop or like playing a guitar. That's what you were seeing in Clubhouse at that time. And then after that, I kind of got the confidence a little bit more. And I went in another room a few days later and it was uh, this guy named Trey Callis. He does like a two book for therapy. So I kind of mm. liked his room because it's kind of comedy, also talking about mental health. So I have a lot of respect for this person in this room. And that's like a weird day. Like my roommate came home. She's like, our neighbor died. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. She said the neighbor died. And then like I go outside in the hallway, there's cops there and it smells really bad. So the person passed away. So I was like oh on God. Clubhouse, like playing with a tiny piano, like a wooden piano. Yeah. And I was like, I muted myself. I started talking in the two book for therapy. They're like, Erica, what's that noise? I was like, this is my piano. They're like, wait, can you play this for us? <laughs> I was like telling them the story like, about this, my poor neighbor. And then I started playing them my piano in between the segments we were doing in our talks. So I was like, more people like, you know, like make me feel good about sharing my music. So a couple of days later, I started like a sound bathroom. 
dope. Yeah. So accidental greatness. Yeah. And I found like shout out to the homie Bo Lee as well. I think Lee Box on Clubhouse. It's just really cool how I think you two are particularly use it as like a healing space. You know, and we don't really associate social media with healthy habits. We know it's like designed to trigger us in ways and and foster addiction. Not that like people don't spend way too much time on Clubhouse, but it definitely, especially early on, was a different vibe. Yeah, I think it was a different vibe. Like around that time, we were, it was very social. Like, sure, it was networking, but it's just like you come as you are, you know? It's just like I would go into people's like welcome rooms or like there's just small rooms where people didn't know and just like start talking. Like, Actually, the welcome room that you you gave me game on was like a welcome room for my homie Jay Key, who I worked at at Complex and I hadn't seen in 10 years. And that room was like beautiful. So many people, people like pulled up, Marzi Jane pulled up. I'm thinking, who else pulled up? We had like 60 people probably cycle in and out. Oh, wow. it, was, it was a vibe. Like I stayed on for like the whole two hours or whatever. But just the welcome rooms were so beautiful and the serendipity of like who would come in and out and just the level of connections. And you've, you pinged me to some like really, really, really great film rooms and specifically black creators or creators of color talking about how to break in the industry like it felt like especially early on that it was panels or lectures that you would pay to go to and you were just getting this free game listening casually while you were like working from home or like cleaning or something yeah that's what i like about it and also i felt like the people who are doing these panels are very warm and welcoming yeah like, so like filming while black like all those like types of groups like very welcoming nice people like i remember just going in one of their rooms like pretty early on like within my first two weeks and I was like very welcome we we're just talking about like Halloween uh black films and we we're all sharing things DMing each other like film lists. there's more than Candyman y'all <laughs> yeah there's way more than Candyman but a lot of people didn't even know about like some like stuff from the 70s yeah. like we we're just sharing the knowledge and I think that's what Clubhouse is good for it's just like sharing it authentically did you share your love for Vampire in Brooklyn? Did you, you're, you're staying Somebody there. else did. That was not my movie. <laughs> I'm joking. That's definitely not my movie. My movie was like a lot more highbrow. Yeah. But Cinema with a high C. Culture. <laughs> culture with a high yeah. C. Yeah. I mean, I think people think like, because also there's like a lot of, there's not that many like black films like mm. in history of it. Like, compared to like what you see like white directors for various reasons yeah so like i just try to go out and like watch a lot of like black filmmakers we're gonna have to have you on to to, to break down i'm super interested in african film and oh yeah i've seen i'm from cave red west africa on my dad's side and a lot of filmmakers who come and make films about cave red are portuguese um there's some good ones uh there's a money horse money uh and they focus on in brazil the black part of brazil which is you know brazil is like everybody's black low-key but specifically the neighborhoods where it's black and yeah we're, we're gonna have to nerd out about black film and black foreign film in particular because some of my favorite black films since i think like moonlight have been all international black films yeah i mean there's like there are a handful of good ones and i think people need to especially like our generation i think we like get wrapped up too much with like the now instead of like the past and like how we got here Agreed, agreed. So speaking of black creativity, Clubhouse was just valued at a billion dollars. I was in a room yesterday that was very interesting, talking about basically we know that when black folks come into a space, we build a lot of culture, but we don't leave with a lot of equity or payment. So 
tell me how you feel about this, but like the best thing that I heard from that room was about how as black and brown people, like we are good at like the software side of it as far as culture, right? Like the soft aspects of it, but white folks are the hardware piece of that, right? Like they can figure out the container and structure. And I shout out to Lindsay Murphy at Aunt Lindsay. She was the one who brought up that point. And that's, I, I thought that was a super genius way to explain it. Like the containers of the system, the hardware are, are built by the white folks, like the platforms that have mass distribution or use. But really we know that like black folks in particular and black culture drives so much of like what happens with trends. And then you see brands use it. What used to be a year now, like two weeks later, it used to be six months. It's crazy. The proliferation of like black culture. Do you want to talk about that at all? And uh, Yeah. I mean, I think we are culture. We like music, dance, food, spices, every aspect of society, you know, we create the culture. I think like Clubhouse, people were getting really excited about it early on because like we we're all isolated. You were saying to me earlier that you live by yourself. For me, it's just like, I was just going to work, working in mental health, seeing my mentally ill patients and coming home. And then maybe going out for me during the whole pandemic was like going to the grocery store. So it was kind of nice early on to go into Clubhouse and like reconnect with people or meet new people on there. So I think people got really excited. I think people sometimes like overshare things on there. I don't think people are very protected over their IP or realize like the wealth of information they give. I think you just got to like move cautiously because I also like one of my favorite sayings is like real G's move in silence. You don't have to announce everything. Yeah. Because I think yeah. there's like rooms on there. You see like people are pitching things. People are doing this and that. Like why? Yeah, no, the pitching competition should I never get. And people already get ripped off enough in the creative industries. Like if you, I don't know, s submit a pitch for something for a contest or if you're applying for a job, people will like totally run with your shit. I don't understand why you would just throw that onto an app. I get it though. I've been in rooms where like there's been a lot of business happening and it, uh, people, usually when people are sharing creativity and it's organic, you know, like you were saying how the birth of the sound rooms that you've been into, right? But those pitch competition rooms, I've never like felt fully comfortable going into those or uh, great feedback about how to navigate the industry, but I don't really believe in people sharing their IP on public platforms like that. Yeah, I think too, like I have experienced like taking workshops and like people like running of ideas. I think it's just like when you have more than one person working on something, like people might take certain things, use certain things. Like you don't, you know, you can't own an idea. Nah, there's no new ideas under the sun as we know. Yeah. And I think like, it's interesting because I do you think like black Twitter really grew like Clubhouse? It did. I mean, honestly, like... For real, I saw it like spring, summer, people talking about it. I waited a while to get on just because I was just like really busy, like hustling and, and, and working full time. So I was like, all right, cool. Let me like it was it came at the perfect time when I got into it in November. And I think it was Bo's rooms that really pushed me into it because like, oh, those are really cool conversations. I do workshops on similar things. Let me pull up. Um, shout out to Bo. We, we did a really cool room on investing and I learned so much. I like went like zero to a hundred on crypto in like a week, just based off mm -hmm. of like, it, that was like pseudo clubhouse, clubhouse adjacent, like finding the VCs on Twitter, following them. Like if you really, really, really know how to research, you can really use something like clubhouse to your advantage and, and learn so much in like a day. 
Well, okay. Let's talk about that though. I feel like with Clubhouse, right? Because like again, we're not we're social distancing. I'm assuming we're yep. like a lot of us are indoors. I think Clubhouse really can get you doing a lot of things. Like I know people that have been like microdosing, people like yourself that started like crypto investing. There's people that want to like write more. There's people that want to do X, Y, Z because of Clubhouse. So I think like when you're around that talk, like you get into it, you want to research it. Yeah, I mean- Like-minded people. Birds of a feather flock together, right? Yeah. We're in a space where like maybe, like I've done events in community spaces and music spaces. Like think of like when you're at events, how many people you can just be in the mix with. We can't do that. Again, Clubhouse is the outside inside right now. So it's been inspiring, but like we were all joking that like when the green bubbles get on there, like androids, it would like jump the shark and be kind of crazy. But for me, I don't know what it was when I was starting to see like people who I should have deleted out of my phone, like hop on there in like January in the new year. I think the last like big room I was a part of, like we did that talk last week on investing, but there was like an MF Doom room that was super dope. Um, Dart Adams was on there sharing a lot of stories. There was one for Combat Jack memorials. Like, like, man, it, it, I still can't get over how some of those music rooms, the stories people were telling, like DJ Clue and DJ Drama talking about, like, the shit I was listening to in high school and they were giving, like, the stories, again, that you wouldn't get from, yeah. like, a, a TED Talk maybe, you know, like, the culture doesn't have that. So who knows? Shout out to the Black creators who are trying to create platforms that build a little more equity because again we give away our sauce and don't always have a lot to show for it i mean i think if you're gonna give away the sauce you can't complain about it yeah. <laughs> like Good and point. i mean i really like the memorial stuff that people do like there i was in a mac miller room the other day mm. and that was like beautiful maybe yeah. kind of like sad though because people are sharing their personal stories with mac yeah but. Shout out to the homie Mikey Christmas who was on tour with Mac and had great things to say about him. Yeah. R.I.P. Mac Miller. All right, so let's talk about so we're on the topic of health. Let's talk about people not taking this penny like seriously. I was on DeKalb yesterday and in the Hasidic area specifically, and I was like, "Yo, nobody has a mask on." My friend shared like, you know, their community was allowed to continue school in person. It's nuts how just in New York City, New York City Metro alone, how crazy different communities have been treated. We know that like early on they were in East New York, Brownsville, tackling people for them to put on masks. Like that was early on. I feel like people have been a lot more casual now for whatever reason when we're at the height of the pandemic. Like I think people just have fatigue because it's been 10 months of quarantine. But I don't know. What's your thoughts? Also, like I'm coming from somebody that lives in Harlem, right next to like Harlem Hospital. Yeah. So when it got really bad, like I think it was like March, April, a little bit of May, every like two, three minutes I would hear like ambulance. Yeah, because right? they might even be coming from the Bronx as well. Yeah. And and those are the hardest hit neighborhoods. Shout out to Harlem. I lived in Harlem and worked in Harlem for several years. Yeah, it was really bad. And then also like going to work, I would like take an uber to work because there was like nobody outside people were you know like getting robbed at weird times on the subway train like 7 a.m right so i was like taking ubers to work and like on my ubers every day i would pass by mount sinai and see their freezer trucks sometimes see like the freezer trucks bodies being loaded so i took like the pandemic very serious i understand people were getting like tired they're bored but like this is life 
And all you have to do is just like really wear a mask. I even wear a mask. I'm like walking around outside. Yeah. I was like running like for when it was like warmer out, like so fall, summer, and I'll have my mask on all the time. I don't understand why it's hard to do. I don't understand this whole indoor dining stuff. I didn't do it. Bruh, I saw outdoor dining like yesterday. It was 30 degrees yesterday with wind chill. Why are you outside like anyways, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, my birthday's in a few days, but like I have a friend like, what do you want to do? Like nothing. Celebrate <laughs> like, like, it celebrate it safely and be alive for like, the next yeah. couple or decades later. Yeah, like I got the first vaccine. Yes. Shot, and yes. I'm like, don't want to see anybody till I get the second one. I think this is really serious. I'm originally from California. In the last week, both of my brothers are like around your age, like tested positive for COVID. My stepsister like tested positive for COVID. I think it's like something really high in Southern California. I think it's like one out of three people have it out there. Wow. It's like a hotbed, just like what we're seeing right now. It's like people that had to like hang out like New Year's. Yeah. Yeah, I had an uncle who passed early, but he he was older and it was the peak and well it's oh, crazy no. what's the peak anymore you know like like my uncle was older he's from Cape Verde uh over there people live long I have aunts who are in their 104 years old that serve me tea when I go right but he was older so they you know sent him away basically because they kind of did the numbers and was like oh you know he's oh, sorry to hear that yeah um it's all good but like when you lose someone or if you know someone who's infected, I think you take it like way more seriously. So yeah. I'm super serious. I've been wearing masks since February, honestly. Um, and it's crazy. All the countries who beat it, they're just socialized to wear masks. You know what I mean? Like my homies from Japan, uh, shout out to Nishi. He's like, yeah, sometimes girls who don't want to do their makeup, just throw a mask on, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I remember early on Vox did a special actually on Netflix and they were talking about, uh, pandemics and or viruses in general and they were talking about different strains and they it's so crazy they actually just repurposed it like two months later when it was the peak of covid and made like a, a sensationalized version of it but just really social distancing mask all the stuff that like people who pay attention to science said it could have all been avoided it's so crazy how we're 10 months in and we're still dealing with all this we're still here and i understand i was wearing a mask back in february as well and i stopped like seeing people end of february yeah. or actually it might have been early march but like i stopped going out and people are just looking at me like i'm funny like people at work i'm telling them to like get ready get cleaning supplies and again, they thought I'm you were <laughs> they thought that you were uh one of those bunker people yeah they thought that but was i was mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. and i mean like i tried warning all my friends like early on one of my really good friends works for a big like and they can get Cedar sinai in LA. And I was talking to her early March, talking about like people that are coming in are like in their 30s and 40s. Wow. They're getting incubated. They want you to think like, she didn't say they want you to think, but she was saying like the media makes you think that's like old people. Yeah. It's not. And then her hospital was like talking to like the team in Milan, right? That had oh, yeah, that it was the really peak high. of it there. Yeah. yeah. Early. Yeah, and they're saying too, like, watch out for people in their 30s and 40s. Wow. I don't know what the narrative was going through, like, the media, and also like the presidency, what was being fed down to us. But mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of mixed messages. So there's a lot of like distrust. I mean, mixed on. messages, and then secretly they were buying body bags, stocks, and that, right? So they knew they just weren't sharing the science. Yeah. Um. 
people are probably so pantied out, but let's just talk about like vaccines because there's a lot of misinformation about it. You took it. I know it's the mRNA strain, which is a protein, which is not actually the virus. It's a piece of the protein that's inside the virus. Yeah. So I know it protects against this strain. And I know there's already like two mutations. There's one in LA, there's one in Britain. So you take in the Moderna, which has what, two rounds. They all have two rounds. And I think what, there's like a three week in between. There's also the um, Pfizer is like 20 days. But okay. Moderna is like 28 days. So like on my 29th day, I'm scheduled to get my vac- my second dose of the vaccine. Got it. So it's just like travel medicine. If, if people have taken travel shots, you usually have to do some type of follow-up. It's just, we've been sending memes back and forth about people being like, oh, computer chips inside of the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what? Again, like, my mom's, like, one of those people, too. Like, very conspiracy theories. More because she, like, spends, like, her day on YouTube. <laughs> like, I'll go home and, like, I think she's talking to me. I'm sure, well, I think I'm talking to her and she's, like, not paying attention because she's watching YouTube. But, like... I don't know. It's just like a lot of people like, like memes, they like videos. That's how we get our information. But a lot of this technology and the vaccines were created back in the nineties and the Moderna vaccine from, if I remember correctly, like that was like created originally, I think for cancer treatment. Mm. And I think it's been around for like at least a year, just hitting a year. So it's not like something they just developed like three months ago and they're trying to stick it into you. Yeah. Uh, what's funny is I'm actually embarrassed to say like the Tuskegee experiment. I, I've heard that so many times, like, you know, a black urban legend, right. That I actually did not know that that wasn't like, I assume that they injected the soldiers with, um, was it, it wasn't hepatitis, it was hurt with herpes or whatever. Syphilis. Syphilis. That's what it was. Yeah. It's just untreated. They're untreated for syphilis. Yeah. So What's crazy is the the spinoff of that is, oh, the government injected that into them. I actually believe that because I had heard it for so long, which is crazy. You know, like it's 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 nuts the amount of like mistrust that we have towards, you know, vaccinations and things like that. Like I'm not even going to get into the whole anti-vaxxer thing, but it makes sense because of, you know, black discrimination and racism in healthcare outcomes. Like we know that that's a thing. I know you know all about that probably better than most working inside healthcare, but I still can't get over that people are afraid of getting the vaccine. And my favorite memes are like, yo, if you've ever taken the Fung bus like me, <laughs> if you've taken it like, uh, if you've ever taken that, don't worry about what's in the vaccine. That's I like can't say I meme. have taken that bus. Oh, uh, bro. I've taken like <laughs> lucky. I've taken every single variation of the New York City to Boston, Chinatown bus lines or period. Nah, I've probably taken the bus like once, like one of those like Greyhounds once. Nah. The like, Catskills. Oh, wow. To the Catskills. I had to I, get something for an event I was doing. Amtrak. Amtrak is, is what I've graduated to, thankfully. But like my back probably, I probably ruined my back on the like hundreds of trips i've taken whether it be to boston to philly or dc on those buses i'm kind of like a germaphobe like low-key like i think i had like low-level ocd because i was a kid right like six years old i had to like wash my hair like every three days or freak out i had to take like two showers a day wow (laughs) like i was like and i had to also like sleep by like 7 p.m or i like on sundays if i was ever like out my aunts i start counting down like i'm only getting like 
11 hours of sleep now, 10 hours of sleep, <laughs> nine hours. I was like, that kid, so annoying. <laughs> so that's why you're alive and thriving during this pandemic, because you had all those habits. Yeah, I wash my hands before I eat, when I come inside, you know. <laughs> now it's like, it's kind of nice to see the, the rest of the world joining me in these They're catching habits. up. You were just ahead of the curve. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. um, so at the beginning of this, before we got into our interview, I talked about the inauguration and a couple of my thoughts about the administration. Um, I'm already done talking about the Bernie memes. It's been played out. People already have the tattoos. People people ruin a good thing. That meme could have like slow simmered for like two months, but people went too crazy with it too early. Um, I'm just curious your thoughts on this administration and how do you feel about uh, Kamala Harris as a black woman being in that space? Uh, I have my feelings, but I'm going to let you have the floor. Um, I mean, I'm glad we're in a new administration. Like Donald Trump and his followers are just, I don't want to get into that, but I love Kamala. I always been a big fan of her since she like ran for her Senate seat. Uh, I think the administration has like their hands full because I think we're like in a depression that's not being said. It's like you go past like food banks, they're busy. Yes. I've actually drove past like three yesterday coming, they're going insane. all over. Yeah, it's crazy. They're insane. And like people aren't talking about this. I think people need help now. And I don't think like $1,200 checks is going to do anything. No, all the developed countries did $2,000 or more over the course of several months. And yeah. you were talking about robberies. I had somebody try to like break into my house Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day. Like... We in a panty, people are struggling, people will take it from you. Like, you know, a lot of people left NYC. That's why the rich Manhattanite, let's keep it real, white folks left, right? Because they didn't want to deal with what's going on. And it's just, I, I still can't get over the fact that people are very casual or being colonizers and going to Tulum without mask. And <laughs> I just, I can't, or Bali. Tulum. Uh. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I'm probably going to go out to Tulum later on this year, but I'm vaccinated. Yes. There you <laughs> but, go. That's, and that's I also, I haven't left, like, I I have, the only time I left New York since the pandemic started was, like, Brianna Taylor actions. Shout out to Carlene Pinto and everything she's doing at, for Louisville and other places around the country. I never got the privilege, though, to just be, like, bored at home. Cause that's just a privilege. And I think people forget that's a privilege. There's a lot of people that are essential employees and essential employees early on when we didn't know what this virus was, we all thought we were going to die basically how to like continue to go to work. If it's like working in the medical field, if it's like keeping a business floating, if it's like bagging your groceries and yeah. these people deserve to get something. Yeah. So the group that's actually on strike right now, I have a friend, her dad works for, I'm blanking right now. I'm being terrible. I'll the Teamsters? In. Yes. The Teamsters. Yeah. So she was sharing that her whole household got COVID because they were on, you know, her dad was on the front lines. They were unionized and were able to get treatment and everything was paid for via the union. But the medical bill, if you get COVID is like 10 K like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I have respiratory problems, so I've been, like, super conscious about it. But now that I'm trying to figure out my own health care as a self-employed single business oh, owner, man. I'm like, yo, a 10K bill, bruh? Man, 
Like 10K, <laughs> you want to spend 10k on your bill for COVID, or yeah. do you want to spend 7k for your insurance for the year? I know, I know. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just trying to weigh it out. I'm like, how much Vicks Vapor Rub and honey lemon ginger tea can make up the difference? Now I'm playing. But that's the change I want to see. I want to see like you know, insurance for everybody if it's Medicaid for all. Like, yep. why do we have to like? Why is everything such a profit? Mm-hmm. Why is our health? Why is our education? I want to see student loans debt erase. Yeah. It's like people want to talk about how we're going to get out of this like financial mess. I think people think or know that people are going to just forget very yeah. quickly about things. Yeah, I feel like all right, a lot of people in the creative industry have won in this time where white folks are kind of waking up, right? And because of all the protesting that happened and work of organizers that we know have been happening for years. But, you know, things reached a critical mass in spring. So a lot of people who are white or in power or brands or companies are paying attention and want to hire black creators, right? But I feel like with this administration, my biggest fear is, especially because Kamala is, you know, a, a black and an Indian woman, black and Asian woman, like people can be like, oh, racism doesn't exist anymore. Like we got Trump out. Like Obama era, that was that was happening too, where people being very much so thinking like, yeah, you know, we got a black president and everything's all good, right? Like, man there's not a lot of positives out of the trump administration period i feel like america's got set back like 20 30 years maybe honestly but man seeing like the maga hat was like really really a hate symbol and i saw a maga hat next to me and my skin crawled like i was on the path coming into jersey city and i saw a tourist with the maga hat on and i felt like it was like a 12 year old white boy and I wanted to like punch him in his face, honestly, but he was on family vacation, but I had never felt like that uncomfortable. And it was a shock. Cause you didn't, you didn't really see them in NYC except Long Island where people have Trump signs and it's crazy. So Trump put everybody on front street, but those people are still out here. Those people stormed the Capitol and, you know, barely got jailed, stole hard drives, <laughs> tried to sell to Russia and then got let out on house arrest. Like, I feel like we need a, a crazy overhaul and, um, you know, Biden and Kamala, they're like capable for sure. But like we need more than capable now. We need like real change. And but even like your reaction to seeing the hats, it's like a place of privilege because you weren't seeing the hats. It's like yeah. also, I, I mean, I, I wasn't seeing the hats either, you know, New York City or I'm home in California. But you do see the hats like if you go down south or the Midwest. Mm. and like i really like learned that like just going out to actions last like in the summer and the fall like going places where i have to get escorted out by the sheriffs because like their townspeople like might you know do something to us they don't like what we're doing in front of this like sheriff building after dark or i would go places like in louisville and there would be like the same characters that happened to storm the Capitol, they're down there in their militia groups, walk around their rifles and their army fatigues. Man, the only thing I have in common with them is my love of Army Navy stores. That's where you get the <laughs> best Carhartt on the low. I don't do Carhartt, WIP. I do the real stuff and then you just get it tailored, right? That's that's a game for my fashion heads or shout out to that era of NYC I was talking about at the beginning, 2010, 2011, there was a really dope Army-Navy store. Shout out to the homie Mar Barksdale. We talked about this the other day. But I got a Tiger camo 
jacket that was so ill that people used to salute me like the crowd <laughs> you're talking about and i would be confused i'm like oh shit this is just fashion but i would i would just like i guess bow to respect but I, yeah anyways the only thing i have in common with them is my love for uh in industrial and <laughs> not industrial in love of militaristic gear that's it anything else we can't see eye to eye on we have not a new balance on. new oh no new balance is canceled i have <laughs> new balance under armor I have some of the rarest New Balance ever. It's the Kennedys that was from Concepts. That was like early New York City Fashion Week. People literally stopped me to ask me about those shoes. They since retro them. Anyways, but that's the only pair of New Balance I have. And I still wear them because they're grails. But you're not going to catch me out in these streets supporting Under Armour or New Balance. Even though Massachusetts has a bunch of those brands. I think New Balance is based in New England. But yeah, no is. love. No love for those two brands i don't think did they align themselves with maga or i think it's just maga people were trying to take it over i think well they they just like didn't trump was trying to pump up production in the u.s so obviously they would benefit because under armor is based on like maryland i believe new balances in massachusetts mm -hmm. so they were happy about that but like they didn't denounce him in a weird way and then you know, Nike was doing Kaepernick commercials and everything okay. else. So the, the MAGA crowd was like, yo, we're going to just do Under Armour and New Balance. So, yeah, now that they had like significant drip anyway, besides like the Joe Fresh Goods kicks that just came out and <laughs> all the people from Baltimore who love New Balance because it's a culture, but you're not going to see me in them. Yeah, fair enough. I'm just mad though. Like, it's this Trump crowd, right? Give him a chance. You guys lost. <laughs> and now it's just like, you guys cheated. <laughs> yeah, they're sore losers. Like, yeah. And I'm going to, my rant at the beginning is super long. So people are tired of hearing me tell my Trump thoughts. But it's been FDT since 2015, since the White House correspondent dinner. And unfortunately, we're going to be cleaning up the mess for decades. I'm just hope that it's not going to be his kids running for office next. Oh my god, they should. Like, now he's trying to start his MAGA party. Oh my god. Uh, anything you want to promote as far as wh where should the people follow you? Where can the people hear from you? Will you be doing more clubhouse rooms? I'm well. Yeah, I'm. Hopefully, I'll be doing more clubhouse rooms. That's so not just my sound baths. And I didn't really explain sound bass before. It's just like, you know, just playing different frequencies. So tuning forks, bowls, using my voice to put you in a meditative state. So I want to do like different types of like sound. Well, not necessarily sound rooms. Maybe talking about sound, talking about positivity. Because I want to be the change in the positivity I do see in clubhouse rooms. It's like you should really just start the rooms you want to see. Because like I feel like clubhouse the last month or two is just like a lot of scammers now. Oh, yeah. uh, people trying to sell you ebooks. Yeah. But, but yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, I live there too. I'm at the mitts. Yeah, and so I'm not really like selling too much of stuff, but hopefully like this year I'll come out some meditation, some music, maybe do a film or two. Yes. I was going to say, we're going to have you back on to talk film for sure. For sure. Maybe we'll do like a three way with my homie, Chris, who does a lot of reviews. Did you get any interesting screeners? I'm curious uh no i didn't get any interesting screeners but i did get like a really cool the only film thing i got from my film club buddy justine bateman Ooh. sent me the black klansman script oh that's beautiful i have yeah. 
the the Moonlight book scripts and not gonna lie, like Moonlight's like a goat level film for me. I was kind of disappointed with the book a little bit. It's still beautiful, but Moonlight is such a beautiful film. They printed the photos like uh, left or right, so there's yeah. a, the scene goes down the middle. So some of the most beautiful shots are like cut down the middle. That's my only complaint. But beyond beyond that, that's a beautiful, beautiful book that I highly recommend for folks. Yeah, I love uh, Bear, Barry Jenkins. He's great. He's amazing. Legend. I've seen him speak too. He's super brilliant. Um, he's he's everything. I just think like right now it's just like a good time for like filmmakers of color. Yes. Not just black filmmakers and filmmakers of color too. Because I also think of Barry Jenkins, like girlfriend Lulu yeah. Wang. She's yes. amazing too. Have you been watching anything lately? Um, I what's hilarious is so I own my spot. I found some classic films in my basement, like Chinatown and stuff like that that oh, I haven't cool. seen. I went back and watched like Taxi Driver which is hilarious. It's kind of like incel vibes if you go and watch it. I mean, but that's new Hollywood. It was a discussion that one of my buddies was doing on Clubhouse history about like new Hollywood. So that's that era, right? From like the 60s to early 80s. But a lot of it is just like very angry white men stuff. It is. Very misogynistic, some racism, definitely a lot of sexism. There's rapes in it. Yeah, I mean, Stanley Kubrick is super, super... Uh, like stuff he did on set is not cool at all, but I really, really love his films. I've seen a lot of his films in museums. I went to see The Shining at Lincoln Center with the guy who invented the Steadicam. Like I really am oh, wow. a huge Kubrick fan. He Q and A's. Like I'm, a, I'm a film nerd. So there's certain things I love. New Wave period. That you know I'll go and check that out. But I think just I've been going back and watching some stuff that I know was gaps in my film knowledge. Stuff that was in the National Film Registry. But nothing like stellar that's new. I know a lot of new stuff is coming out in the new year, so I'm excited. But I mean, I have seen like some really cool stuff the past month. Like Sylvie's Love is good. I'm just watching. Was it like One Night in my in Miami? Yeah, I gotta check that. Yep. That's I like that. That's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm just like catching up right now. It's like all this like stuff to watch limited series i was watching like the latest episode of euphoria oh that was great i watched that uh the i like the part one special better with the diner but i just love like um i've worked with trans art students in the past who've like gone to new school basically the same story that so jules's story basically i love the root episode more just like i thought it was like stronger overall but like imagine like a trans teen seeing rue there and having that conversation there like like just imagine how many people felt seen by seeing that um if you like euphoria you should definitely check out waves which was really slept on in 2018 it's some of the same team um really really intense film yeah i i love that studio that does like all the barry jenkins stuff yeah a24 shout out to a24 like especially those there's always like that's always the joke, right? Like it's a meme, I think. Like A24, it's always like Florida, based in Florida, yeah. and like water shots. <laughs> yeah, there's there's literally like A24 culture memes. Yeah, I mean, there's a particular set of film bro that like, I, I love most of their stuff, but like people act like it's a genre in itself. Like film bros have like kind of turned that into like a weird meme. Uh, there's more than just A24, but I have a lot of love for A24. For I mean, A24 though is like, if you think about it, it's a lot of stuff that's just like really resonance, right? So it's like midsummer. Yep. You have like mid nineties. Yep, I love mid nineties so much. Uh, 
Uncut Gems, Moonlight, yep. of course, like Killing a Sacred Deer, Eighth Grade, like all of this stuff is like really, I think it's like cultural importance for like yeah. millennials. Eighth Grade too, in particular, was like probably, wasn't my even my favorite film that year, but it was just so different. Um, even early on, Ex Machina, I enjoyed, yeah, I, I, cool. I'll probably, I'll watch Eighth, anything. Eighth Grade though, like really talks about like dealing with anxiety and like, we, man, we're gonna do a whole film spinoff. I, I swear, because the death of like the mid-tier indie, like that doesn't exist anymore, and there's a whole generation of like Gen Z who will like never experience the mid-tier indies that we got <laughs> in the late '90s and early 2000s. You know, so we'll, we'll do a whole spinoff on that. All so right. what would that be? Like your mid-tier? Is that like, dude, where's my car? Does that count? Uh, no, nah, I think that's that's like low-budget Hollywood, like um. Like stuff that like Ed Norton was in, you know, like okay. like that's the the mid tier thing that kind of disappeared from film production. So we're gonna do a whole, maybe we'll do a quarantine watch list and and we'll go back and forth of of, of what we need to check out. We should do a list. Maybe we could do a list for like Black History Month, Black Ooh, filmmakers, Black filmmaker challenge. That would be lit. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Alrighty, alrighty. So thanks for checking in with me. Where can the people follow you again? I'm at the Mitts the mitts on that's yeah t-h-e-m-i-t-t-s on instagram and twitter and remember to wear your mask and stay socially distant and there's a really funny quote i saw this on twitter the other night if you make it past the date this this 2021 where you haven't had sex or dated for a whole year you should be given a nobel peace prize for reducing covid better than the whole u.s administration in every u.s city damn we're handing out medals to people who did that peace all right yes thank you for checking out the podcast hope you enjoyed it if you liked it please 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 subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to you can hit me with that follow on spotify rate and review on apple Podcasts. it really helps me grow the show so just leave a comment and it helps with discoverability and allowing me to do this moving forward i will see you next time peace thanks for tapping in at Jordan underscore Martins signing off. Peace.